We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. With the 18th pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the Indiana Pacers select Goga Vitaze from Tbilisi, Georgia. Pacer fans, welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me on today's show is the one and only Mike Focci, the president of the Jermaine O'Neal fan club. Focci, what's going on, man? Woo, nothing much. Always happy to be here. The NBA draft has concluded, but the fun is not over yet because free agency is less than a week away. Yes, yes, yes. And joining us on the other line, finally back with us, it's been a couple minutes, but he is the coach and the insider and the new dad. Give it up for Tyler Smith. Tyler, what's going on, man? Good to be back. And, hey, I got another special guest. I got my two-year-old with me. So if you hear any background noise, that's just her playing with some toys uh, here in the studio. Oh, we love her. She's part of Pacer Nation. She is welcome on the podcast anytime. So let's just get right down to it. With the 18th pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the Indiana Pacers select another center, Goga Batatze. Tyler, I'm going to go to you first here. What was your initial reaction to the drafting of Goga Batatze? Well, like everybody else, I had a thought of, what? (laughs) When it first happened. But as you guys know, I always try to find some perspective. I've said on this show many times that my personal preference is to take the best available player in the draft, worry about positions later. (laughs) And uh, I think what we've been told is the Pacers draft room was – pretty ecstatic when they found out he was still available. So they're excited about it. I'm going to trust what they think about him. 
scouts and experts love the pick. So um, I, I think overall we have to trust Pritchard and, and the, the staff there, and uh, we'll see what happens. Fachi? I got all the trust in the world in Pritchard because I'm going to be honest, guys. This move shocked me. I did not think we were going to be looking at a center. I mean, Goga is someone that we did not work out, and even Coach McMillan was pretty honest in saying he wasn't even too familiar with this game at all. But we trust the scouts. Uh, one of the Pacers scouts said he had seen him over 25 times. So, you know, you, you got you to gotta believe that. And, hey, this isn't just, you know, any European that, that we took. I mean, Goga was someone who he produced. He's he's won MVP in many different spots. The Adriatic League MVP, um, the Junior Adriatic League MVP. I mean, EuroLeague Rising Star. I mean, this, this is a guy who's pretty accomplished. And at only 19 years old, I do think that, he will continue to get better, and I'm glad to know that he will be doing it with us in a situation where he's not being thrown in the fire right away. All right, Fachi, well, let me ask you this. Because you said you were completely surprised by this pick. I, too, was surprised by the, the drafting of another center. But who were, who were you hoping the Pacers would draft there? I know your guy Kevin Porter was on the board still, but anybody else you thought the Pacers might take instead of Goga? Yeah, honestly, when I saw Nazir Little fall to 25, I was really interested because I thought Nazir was going to be a lotto pick. And I'm not sure exactly why he slid, but I also felt that this is someone who we could use pretty much right away. Obviously, when we brought in TJ Warren, that kind of maybe that kind of deterred us away from Nazir. But I I thought the value was definitely there. So if it was going to be Kevin Porter or Nazir Little, and then at that point I, I did just kind of want the best available, but Gogo was not even on my radar, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I think we can all say that Gogo was not on our radar as well. And it was pretty funny because I listened to the Born Ready 2 pod. Shout out to those guys for having me on last week. Uh, I came on before the draft happened. I gave my thoughts and stuff on the trade and just kind of recapped or I guess gave my predictions for the NBA draft. and. <laughs> They were freaking out. They did a live reaction to the TV, and they had a guest call in, and it was hysterical. I mean, they hated the pick. They're yelling at Pritchard for drafting another white guy, uh, just just going off. And honestly, like, usually that's that's how I felt about TJ Leaf. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I was so mad at the TJ Leaf pick. I wanted to throw my phone across the room. It was just one of those picks I absolutely hated. But when Goga was announced, I mean, I've been hearing good things about Goga from all the different scouts that have been on podcast and you know tv just talking about potential guys that could be sleepers in this draft and goga always came up so when his name popped up for the pacers i said huh that doesn't really make sense since we already have two centers and we can't decide if we want to keep them both or not and we're gonna go draft another center so i was like i'm not gonna react or overreact to this pick i'm just gonna let it happen and just kind of see how he develops but after hearing him talk he seems like a Pacers guy, uh, 100% sure. And to be honest with you, watching his film on YouTube, yes, what else do we have to look at? He does a lot of things very well. So, Tyler, I'm sure you've looked a little bit at what Goga has, you know, skill-wise. What are some of the things you really like about his game? Well, definitely his shot-blocking ability. I think he was averaging three blocks last year. He's very smart. They think he's NBA-ready, not a project. I mean, that's all good things, especially when you talk about the value of the 18th pick. 
Um, it allows the Pacers to maybe look at some options, and I, I'm not sure if his shot-blocking ability now makes Turner more expendable than what Sabonis would if they want to go that route, but they also have the option of keeping all three, making a three-headed beast if they can figure it out somehow. But as you said, he definitely seems like a Pacer, smart player, has won so many awards, and uh, he just fits the mold. So uh, I think uh, Pacer Nation will at least look forward to uh, – just a good all-around ball player from what it looks like. I mean, it's it's so hard. We can't judge, you know, a guy we haven't really seen play much except on on film. But, uh, yeah, well, I'm kind of in wait-and-see mode for that. What I did like is I saw that he averaged 12-6 and six in his 13 EuroLeague games, which is pretty much better stats than what you see on most Europeans. I mean, I've seen some very sketchy stat lines from European players that were drafted early, so I at least feel good with what I'm seeing, are also our friend Scott Agnes uh, tweeted out a video today of when uh, Gogo was working out for the Hornets, and it showed that the, the three-point shot is going to come. He shot 31% in Europe. Sure, that's not going to blow anyone away, but this is a guy who seems like he is going to be capable of that. Also seems like he's got a pretty good mid-range jumper uh, to the point where, sure, he's saying all the right things. He's young enough, and I think that, just as Tyler mentioned, if you have a chance to get the best available player rather than fitting a position that might just be for this year, I think the Pacers did a good job of that. I saw ESPN had uh, had our draft as an A, and I'm sure that probably um, in, you know puts everything together in terms of trades and, and stuff like that. But I think that no one's knocking the pick other than Pacer fans that were just a bit impatient and wanted to get a guy you know that we're more familiar with right now. Yeah, I agree with you on that last part especially because nobody knew who this guy was. Nobody's seen any film of him, and I guarantee most Pacer fans were not looking at centers that could be on the draft board at that time. There was you know, some reports that Bull Bull might be someone the Pacers have interest in, and that kind of gave me some Jonathan Bender vibes. I put that out on Twitter just because he's a young, raw athlete that's real tall, but he has health issues, and he doesn't have enough body weight to balance out, you know, his large frame. So it's just, you know, I was glad that they did go with the best player available. I really believe him. A lot of times you'll hear the lip service from coaches and uh, GMs say, well, he was in our top 10, but I really do believe that he was because once Cameron Johnson went 11th, this whole draft, I mean, I think the Rui Hachimura was a bit of a stretch, but once Cameron Johnson went 11th to the Phoenix Suns, I really thought this draft opened wide up. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Now we have heard both McMillan and Pritchard say they expect Goga to be ready, you know, to be in this rotation. And Pritchard has adamantly said he believes that Miles and Domas will, you know, be able to start together. So I'll go with you first this time, Fachi. What is your thoughts on the Pacers looking to possibly pair Sabonis and Turner together? This year, the experiment worked out better than the previous year, but I don't think by much. Uh, I believe they had a positive rating together, but at the same point, it is still a very, very much a mystery of can this work all season long? And I think that we have no other option but to find out. I mean, Sabonis is too talented to continue to just be a backup, and it's I don't want to get rid of him yet, so let's find it if he can play the four consistently and have Goga be the backup center this year. You know, no disrespect to Kylo Quinn, but I think we all know he's not coming back. So that is, you know, Goga, you can slot him in right away as the backup center role, and I do think TJ Warren could play some of the four also. So I think we got a pretty good option uh, over there at the four, and 
it obviously probably spells out chances are that Thad Young is gone over there. So I'm, I'm all for finding this out. Can Domas play the four? I'm all in on it. Yeah, go ahead and share your thoughts on this, Tyler. Yeah, you guys know that uh, gif or that video of the guy in the crowd where he says, figure it out. That's kind of <laughs> my thoughts on this. Like, they they have to figure it out. Coaching staff, I mean, they got to – like, last year it worked some of the time and sometimes it didn't. So they have to study like crazy and figure out when did this work, why, what could we do differently. I mean, I, I believe Sabonis um, can be a good three-point shooter. I think he can stretch the floor. Um, he had a pretty good percentage even though he didn't shoot very much. Um, there are ways, there are things they can do differently in the offense, I think, to be more effective. And like Fachi said, like it's, I mean, these guys are here and you can't waste them. And especially when you got, go got ready, hopefully, um, we, we got to see what, what happens with it. And even if it's not every single game, they're playing starter minutes, but in a lot of matchups, you have to see, uh, if it can work. Yeah. And I'm kind of in the boat of why we don't see Sabonis and Turner shoot more threes is because of the, the offense that McMillan runs it's you know you got the same fans saying well Turner should be shooting four to five threes complaining that Sabonis doesn't shoot any and then they're using that argument against the the Turner Sabonis debate but it's like both guys really should be shooting more threes in today's NBA and that's kind of one of the things I wanted to touch on I wasn't able to listen to the full interview with Kevin Pritchard and Dan Dockage yet but Kevin Pritchard came on Dan Dockage's show last Friday and basically said that he kind of likes the the two big man traditional big man style and he also likes having a shot blocker at the center position but he also likes a traditional point guard one that can kind of keep things under control and set the offense up which is kind of a hint which out without outright saying it that Ricky Rubio is probably high on their radar so you got a guy like Turner you got a guy like Sabonis those are two big guys that really you know haven't been used in today's offense to really stretch the floor. We've seen it a little bit with McMillan, but not a lot. And then you bring in a guy like Rubio. It's it's an interesting concept, but I'll go with you first, Tyler. Do you really think that this style of offense that Pritchard's kind of hinting at can work in today's NBA? I think it can. I'm not sure it will. I mean, it makes you a little nervous uh, if the reports are true and if they end up landing Rubio. What I've been kind of saying is that if he is – coupled with some other good moves, then he would make more sense. I mean, if Rubio is your prized off-season acquisition, I think Pacer Nation is going to be pretty mad, including myself, and I think it's going to be a, you know, not as excited as what we, we could be going into the season. But if they use that $30-plus million on, say, three players, Rubio's one of them, and they, they get a couple other ones and make a good trade, then maybe it starts to make more sense. He can definitely set an offense up, very good passer, Maybe he will have a TJ Warren moment where his three-point percentage spikes. You know, you never know. It, it hasn't been good so far. Um, but the traditional system, if you can find a way to get a playmaker or two in there and uh, use the pick and roll, pick and pop uh, more more effectively, then it would make more sense. Flashy? Mm-hmm. Man, it, just as Tyler was saying, you know, if the whole offseason is pretty much Boyan, TJ Warren, and Rubio, then – Sure, the team's better, but are they competing to win the East? Are they uh, better? I, I think they are better, but how much better? You know, I this team. I don't know if I think they're better or not, Fachi, to be honest with you. Oh, but by just subtracting Thad? Because who would we really be losing it? Darren Collison and Thad? 
Yeah, I think if you're you're losing Tyreek's ability to create off the bench, nah. I know that. I, hey, you can you can make fun of Tyreek all you want. I know we had an underwhelming season, but if you have zero shot creators and you're going to be without Oladipo for half the season, you're breaking up all the chemistry this team had over the last two years. You're throwing in these new guys. T.J. Warren wants to be a starter. Are there going to be minutes for him to start? Who are you bringing in to back up? You know, Oladipo with the shooting guard position. Who's playing those minutes with him out? Uh, Rubio can't hit a three for his life, so he's going to be taking over the Thad Young. Let's not guard him and make him shoot roll. This is this team to me, honestly. I don't think it's going to be better than last year's team. But these are the only guys we bring in. But I'll let you continue. I don't want to interrupt you too much, but that's just my thoughts. Yeah, and look, Rubio is not my first choice at point guard. He's probably not even my third choice at point guard in this off season. <laughs> or ten, uh, but yeah. But one thing that we can't deny is he's always had vision. Rubio's passing ability is only a select few guys are in that category. No, he cannot shoot efficiently, and he never will shoot efficiently. But I do think that you know he can guide an offense. Uh, we haven't had many guys that have been able to give us about eight assists a game. I think Jeff Teague comes to mind that one season. Other than that, I mean, you're dating back to I think Jamal Tinsley had a couple years at around seven assists per game. Um, so I do think Rubio brings a different point of to, to the game, different point of the offense that Collison wasn't quite able to do. Um, but I'm not in love with it, but I do think that it could be a good fit if it's a no more than a two-year deal. And I don't want to be paying too much more. What is the price you see on Rubio per year? I see it around $10 million. I wouldn't uh, want to go too much more than that. I think it's going to be more than that, personally. And I hope it's I only think- I hope it's a one-year deal. And I hope it's only for one year because we know Oladipo won't be back until I, December, January. Because I feel like, okay, if you want to have somebody run the offense while Oladipo is recovering from injury and just kind of use this year as a chance to stay you know, in the playoffs but know you're not really competing for a championship yet and just kind of use it for a rehab year for Vic, that's a route I would go. But, yeah, I mean, for me personally, I think Rubio is going to be around $13, 14000000 million. I could see thirteen. I could see a two-year, twenty-five million, no, or potentially in two years. I just want one. Just I, one. I, I, <laughs> hey, I, I trust me. I'm fine with just one. I could see the the one year between ten to thirteen million, or two years, twenty-five. Anything more than two years, and you're completely murdering the growth of Aaron Holiday. Yeah, Tyler, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I'm with you. I would not. I mean, I would, I would love a one-year deal um, if we go for him at all. I mean, I, I would like to see, I mean, you can't always trust. I mean, I know like some of the big guys have been talking about Rubio and the Pacers interest, but look at TJ Warren kind of came out of nowhere. It kind of surfaced in like a day or two. And there it was, I mean, I think Pritchard has a lot of things that work. Maybe Rubio is one of his fallback options. Maybe he's uh, in close contact with him, and he's got some other options there just in case. And he's Rubio Rubio's kind of his like, you know, backup chick or something where he's like, Hey, yeah, first options on the didn't work runner. out. I'm gonna call you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's a good point too because it just they said they were gonna go after the big names, and then you know we keep hearing all this stuff about Rubio. Uh, looking at other teams that might need a point guard, do you think there's a team out there that'd be willing to pay Rubio more than us? I mean, Phoenix maybe. I don't know. Is there any team out there you think would be willing to pay Rubio? Fachi, look like you got something to say. Yeah, I do think that Phoenix is in the market for a point guard. One of the teams that is in the market for a point guard but has been there and done that is Minnesota, and yeah. I just don't think that uh, they want to go down that route again. So well, they Phoenix don't have is cap definitely space either. 
Yeah, Phoenix definitely competition. You never know if the Knicks strike out and they just want to throw a one-year deal out there. Um, but, oof, man, you know, Rubio, that's not too bad of a side chick, if I might say myself. But I do think, you know, why aren't – do you think there's any interest in D'Angelo Russell or is that strictly from just a fan standpoint? Tyler, I'll let you answer this. I have something I'll add on to it at the end. I think there's interest, but there's a possibility that they got shut down already because I feel like with the presumed addition of Warren, I mean, a max contract is pretty much all the Pacers would have left to give, and then they'd really have to get creative at that point. So I feel like based on his press conference that he checked in on some people, maybe he got the no, probably not, and maybe he's going other direction. But he talked also about getting shot creators. He's talked about getting a a starting two a capable starting two while Oladipo's out. So who is that player? I mean, there's a lot of stuff. And as he said, 43 million now, 32 million, whatever it is, it goes by quick when you got a lot of holes to fill. Yeah. And I guess what I found interesting is in Pritchard's, I can't remember what interview it was. It was on the radio, whether it was once they introduced Goga or after the draft, but he said that just because somebody is an all-star doesn't mean they're the right fit for this team. So it kind of gave me the impression that he was basically saying, hey, you know, he might be an all-star level level player, but he's not good for this team. And that might be D'Angelo Russell. I don't know if it's him that he's referring to. I don't know if he's going out there making a bigger comment about maybe Kyrie Irving and some of the shenanigans that happened in Boston this year or whether it's a Kimball Walker type player. You know, I think they have their eyes set on a certain, you know, roster construction and to be honest with you, I think we could see ourselves having a very European team. Ricky Rubio, Bojan Bogdanovic, Domas Sabonis, and Gogai out there for a little bit of the time. That wouldn't shock me at all. It might be one of the most international teams uh, in the Eastern Conference trying to compete with the Raptors for that. But, um, but yeah, so to me, I mean, I think D'Angelo Russell is somebody they should target. But I, I'm about 20% on if they'll actually go after him, meaning that 80% of my guts says they won't so other than that i mean i yeah, just I also, it's tough yeah i also don't know if uh, bogey's gonna be back i know pritchard still says he's a priority but i'm I'm looking at the money and i'm thinking you know where's it gonna come from if you sign him and sign a rubio type and you say you want a starter at shooting guard and you want a guy off the bench i mean i don't know they're gonna have to get really creative or something. I mean, it's very possible that Warren is also insurance in case they can't re-sign Bogey if one of these other teams are offering something ridiculous for him. Yeah, just throwing this out there: a guy who plays both the guard positions, Malcolm Brogdon, it'll be cheaper. Could be, could provide a little bit more flexibility for this team. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, the Pacers really haven't gone after restricted free agents since they've mm-hmm. you know been in the business of going after free agents. So. I don't know. I think that is somebody to keep an eye on. That's somebody I would much rather have over uh, Ricky Rubio for sure. But it just is he what they want at the point guard position? I'm not really sure. So we've kind of hinted at it a little bit with TJ Warren, but we're going to take a break here. We'll come back and we'll wrap this up talking about TJ Warren. Joining us right now on the Smoke and Barrel Barbecue phone line is the one and only the voice of the Pacers on Fox Sports Indiana. Chris Denary. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be with you guys. Well, we really appreciate it. And so first things first, let's just talk about this NBA draft a little bit. Goga Batatse, kind of out of nowhere. Uh, what did you think about this pick? Well, all 
uh, all signs pointed to him to, uh, into being a lottery pick. Uh, I saw in the mock drafts that were done that he was anywhere from uh, 8 to 14. Most people targeted him uh, with the Celtics at number 14. Uh, so for him to fall to 18, um, you know, it's similar if you think about it, uh, when the Pacers uh, felt fortunate to get Miles Turner. Uh, they felt that he had dropped in the draft as well. So um, Kevin Pritchard said uh, on Thursday night, the draft, that you've got to, when you're in a situation like that, you've got to take the best player available. And you also want depth at the big position. Uh, he was, uh, you know, playing in a, in a European league. He was one of the top uh, up-and-coming uh, EuroLeague players in 2018-19. So they, they felt it was a no-brainer. Um, it was as much consensus on a draft pick as the group has ever had. And so it'll be uh, interesting to see as they bring him along, especially starting with Summer League, how he fits in. But uh, I know everybody with the Pacers uh, basketball uh, front office was ecstatic to get him. Hey, Chris, you know, Mike Focci here. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, what's been the vibe like with the Pacers having selected Goga, and what can we really expect from him? What's realistic from year one? Well, I think the vibe, uh, it's been similar to uh, other Pacers drafts or other Pacers trades that have been made in the past, and it was probably ho-hum, and and part of that is a lot of Pacers fans had never heard of Goga. Uh, They don't follow European basketball, and I understand that. Um, But uh, international players have had a huge impact on the NBA, you know, especially in the last 20 years. Um, he was Nikola Jokic's teammate for a while. Uh, he was picked as this year's rising star in the EuroLeague uh, when Luka Doncic had won it each of the last two years. So I think, you know, honestly, for, for most Pacers fans, they had no idea who he was. Um, but that's not dissimilar, guys, to when I hosted the draft party back in 2010 and the Pacers took Paul George. Nobody really knew who Paul George was. Um, he was a guy with two first names, as some people said, and he played at Fresno State. So a lot of Pacer fans had never watched him play. Uh, think back to two years ago when the Pacers were forced to trade Paul George and they traded for Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis. Everybody nationally uh, said it was a bad deal, and I think Pacers fans were concerned that they didn't get enough. And I think here we are two years later, we know the Pacers got plenty. So I think it's, it, it's similar to Pacers moves that have, have been made over the last few years. Uh, to some, it's under the radar. But I, I think it will turn out to be a positive. This is a guy that at the age of 16 became a professional, and he was playing against men. And most people will tell you that uh, the EuroLeague, international basketball, is at a much higher level than college basketball. So... Uh, uh, again, we've got to see it on the floor. We've got to see him produce. But I think all signs point to him being a very successful pro. Yeah, Chris, hey, uh, i got a question, too, uh, as far as his offseason goes. Do you have any gut feel for, I guess, a direction you think the Pacers may take? And you don't have to mention any names, per se, but as far as uh, what you think they'll be looking to do in free agency or trades, what's a gut feel you have for that? Well, uh, you know, they've got somewhere after the Goga move, they've got somewhere around $31, million, $32 million uh, to play with in free agency. And I know that retaining 
one of their free agents and Boyan Bogdanovich is, is something that is first on their plate. And I know that, you know, with Thad Young, who just had a, a, a very positive three years for the Pacers, guys like Darren Collison and Corey Joseph, I mean, it's a big reason why the Pacers had back-to-back 48-win seasons um, and were essential uh, to the Pacers franchise. But you're not going to br- be able to bring all those players back. They don't have enough money to do that. So um, I, I know Boyan Bogdanovich is a priority, but he's also an unrestricted free agent, and there are some other teams that have looked at him as a priority as well. So the question is, is what will that number be uh, for Bogey? Uh, he was about $10 million in each of the last two years. I think what his cap hold is, you know, 13 and a half or 14. The key with that is, is that you can go sign other players and then sign Boyan Bogdanovich and go over the cap inside the luxury tax uh, to, you know, sign your own free agent. So, um, you know, a lot's going to depend on, you know, where does Boyan Bogdanovich fit in? I think we all know I can't really talk about it because it's not official, but it's out there. Uh, the Pacers pulled off, I thought, a pretty good deal for money in bringing a, a wing player uh, who can shoot the ball, who can play the three or four um, to help. And I think they're looking in, the, in free agency for probably point guard and another wing that can shoot the basketball. Um, so I think those are the things that you'll look at. And then – Let's dial back down, and, and maybe you'd ask me this question, but uh, we don't know when Victor Oladipo will be back. I think we're all hopeful that it's somewhere in late December, early January. So you've got some young players that are going to have to step up and play uh, to take up a little bit of the slack. I'm very high on Aaron Holiday. Um, Edmund Sumner, I thought, had a, a good second year with the limited playing time he got. But if you would see Edmund working out right now from afar, he is much stronger. You might not even recognize him from afar. He just looks like a different player. Wow. And then there's TJ Leaf, who's, you know, six foot eight, six foot nine, uh, who can play the four. You know, we don't know if he can slide down and play a little bit of the three. So you've got three young guys who are either going to be in their second or third years that I believe are going to have to take a step forward. Uh, to become rotational players, uh, especially early in the year when you don't know what Victor's status is going to be. Yeah, and I wanted to touch a little bit on Victor's status because right now Kevin Pritchard and both Woj have said that it looks like December, January is the timetable for his return. So that's that's a pretty significant amount of time for him to be missing, especially trying just to get comfortable being back on the floor after injuring that quad tendon. So what are your realistic expectations for the Pacers next season, especially starting the season out without having their best player? Well, it's definitely a hit. I mean, I think what this team was able to do after Victor got hurt, um, you know, to even though they slid from the third to the fifth, I think a lot of people felt they might slide right out of the playoffs when he went out, and it sure uh, looked pretty ominous when they lost their first four games after he was hurt in January and then rallied to win I think it was six straight and eight of nine. Um, It's a little hard to say right now. I think uh, I'll be better able to tell you where I think they fit in the East um, in mid-July or August after free agency is done. Um, You know, I've seen, you know, a number of people, whether it be on Fox or ESPN or Bleacher Report or wherever, already, you know, posting what they think um, 
the East and the West will look like. Well, how can you do that right now? Because you don't, you know, 40% of the NBA right now is in free agency. <laughs> so I, I, just think, I just think you have to wait um, until um, at least mid-July or early August before you know where everybody is, before you can realistically determine, um, you know, where the Pacers fit in the East. I do know this. Um, just like it's been every year. They want to win and they want to be in the playoffs. This is not a franchise that believes in tanking. It's not a franchise that uh, does not want to make the playoffs. Uh, they've been in the postseason 24 of the last 30, eight of the last nine. What I've told people, while they've not won an NBA title, they have been to a significant number of Eastern Conference Finals. And I think if you look over the last 25 years, they've been one of the top four or five teams in the East and probably one of the top, you know, five to eight teams in all of the NBA. And I think that's how you should measure this franchise, and that's what their goals are for the upcoming year as well. Hey, Chris, I was curious. You know, the Pacers in the past have made it known that they are not a team to pay the luxury tax. If the opportunity comes about and they want to be aggressive enough, do you think they would kind of break that – that kind of promise that they've made in the past of not paying the luxury tax? Well, I think if the right player is available, I mean, I, I think the one thing that I think you've got to separate is going over the cap and the luxury tax, and those are two different things. You can go over the cap um, and still stay shy of the luxury tax and still spend a significant amount of money. I mean, I don't know for sure, guys, but there were really only six or seven teams that were in the luxury tax. And some of those teams weren't even playoff teams. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to be in the luxury tax where some of these teams are. I think the more realistic uh, story is going over the cap. Um, and I think that is absolutely something that Herb Simon will do if the right player is there. You have to understand that Herb Simon um, is 84, 85 years old, and he wants to win. Um, and so... Kevin Pritchard would have the authority to spend that money if the right pieces or players are available. So, um, you know, if, if you look back, you know, many, many, many years ago, they, they weren't necessarily in the luxury tax, but they went well over the cap uh, with their salaries. And I think that's something that if, if the right players are there and it makes sense, um, there would be no issue, I think, with doing that. Yeah, Chris, also I uh, had a question about <clears throat> really how the, the fan reaction has been playing out recently. As you said, there's so many moves to be made, but it's almost like Pacer fans are just maybe not as excited right now about next season. Part of that's the uncertainty with Oladipo. But as you've seen up close, you know, McMillan's going to get his team to play hard. So many moves still still to be made. So two questions for you, really. One is what would you say to Pacer Nation about next season as far as you know, keeping their heads up about, you know, it could be a good year as well. And what's your gut feel on, do you think Turner and Sabonis are both back next season? I'll take the second question first. Yes, I think they're both back. I, I think yeah. I think the Pacers feel like they owe it to themselves as well as those two, those two to, to see if they can play together. And I think the sample size hasn't been large enough. I was very impressed this past year in the regular season when they played well together. Um, you know, they can sort of flip spots. I mean, Miles can play the four on offense. Domas can play the five. 
Uh, then you can flip it around on defense with Miles being the rim protector. Sure, there's an issue of one of those guys guarding a stretch four, but there are a number of teams that uh, played multi-bigs this year. I mean, look at Denver, uh, the success that they had with Jokic and Plumlee and Paul Millsap and um, you know some of the other bigs that they utilized. Um, I think a lot of what you do um, doesn't have to be predicated on size, but it can be predicated on spacing and pace. And I, I, I would like to see those guys play together. I'm not an either-or guy. They're both 23 years old. They both have, um, I think, high ceilings, and I really want to see uh, those guys play together. Um, on the first statement, all you have to do is look back at two years ago when everybody was down and out after the Paul George trade, and, again, both nationally and locally, people were down on the Pacers, and people thought they'd be a 32-win team, and they won 48 games and were the fifth seed in the East. So I'm a big believer. You know, I'm one of those guys, as you watch Pacers telecast, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a glass-half-full guy. I'm a big believer in being positive. I try to be honest. But uh, I, I just really like what KP and the front office staff has done. You know, Nate's going to get his guys to play hard, and it will be a continuation of, I think, what they've done the last two years with your leaders in Turner, Sabonis, and Oladipo. There's going to be a lot of new faces. There's no question about that, and hopefully Bogey's not a new face. But I think uh, – I just think you have to wait. I think it's – it doesn't pay anybody any dividends right now to be down and out about where you are um, because we've got to fast-forward – to a month before we even know what the roster is going to look like or what else the other rosters are going to look like in the Eastern Conference. So um, I'm a big believer that you let things play out and then we'll see where this team ranks. So, Chris, this is my last question for you. Um, There was a report out there that the Pacers did make a trade before the draft to acquire some talent, and that took into some of their cap space. So we, we know that that's going to happen eventually. But one thing that Pritchard has talked about is, you know, doing those kind of moves and being aggressive in the trade market because, you know, for some reason we can't attract free agents like the big cities in New York and L.A. So do you think the trade route is probably the best route for the Pacers to acquire talent going forward to help build this roster? Well, that's definitely very important, and you make a good point. One of the things that Kevin Pritchard talked about last week is it's one of the reasons why they accumulated so many second-round draft picks in trades. And part of that reason is by only taking one player in the draft in Goga, uh, you don't eat up salaries in the second round this year. And they wanted as much money in free agency as they could have. Look, if you would have kept the 32 and kept the 50 and signed a couple of players for a couple of million apiece – you know, maybe not guaranteed after one year. But anyway, that's going to eat, what, 4 or $5 million up. And all of a sudden, that $32, $33 million is down to 28 That's a big difference if you're trying to re-sign Boyan Boganovich. So I think that's one of the reasons why. The other thing is, is while you may never utilize those second-round draft picks, they are huge to include in trades because they're assets and they are worth something. And so Kevin made a point that as they go into free agency, um, whether they're signing a free agent or conducting a trade, 
those second-round draft picks have value and could be very important here at the end of this week, into July, or even at the trade deadline next February. So, Chris, you've been around the team plenty, plenty years, I think 13-plus years uh, doing play-by-play for the Pacers. Where would you rank this offseason in regards to kind of like the outlook or just the, the hype of, of this Pacer team as they're going into an offseason looking to be competitive, trying to get to that next level? Well, it's interesting because I've heard some uh, local talk show hosts say, you know, this is the most important offseason in Pacers history. This is the most difficult offseason in Pacers history. And I'm really not quite sure I agree with that. I, I would have to say two years ago, when your all-star player announces he doesn't want to play for you and you've got to, you've got to execute some type of trade where you're not really in control, right? That uh, everybody knows you've got to trade Paul George, and yet you are able to come up with Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis, which I think uh, turned around a franchise from um, uh, a mental point of view, from a leadership point of view with Victor. Um, if Victor Oladipo was not hurt, we probably wouldn't be having those conversations this year. But because we don't know when Victor will be back, um, it does become an important offseason because of who you acquire that could be in the starting lineup once the season starts. So I think it's an important offseason. Every, every offseason is important because it's a brand-new year. You know, People, I guess, don't care what you've done in the past. But I look back to two years ago, and I think that was as important an offseason as the Pacers have ever had, and they passed it with flying colors, and hopefully they'll do the same this year as well. So we're going to wrap this up here, Chris. I said I was done with questions, but one actually hit me as you were talking, and you know there is a lot of turnover that could happen this offseason with the players the Pacers have in free agency. So with Oladipo not being you know available to start the season, how much of a factor do you think the – team chemistry will play into how this season goes because there's going to be a lot of new faces on this team. Well, that will be important. I guess I turned to two seasons ago when uh, the only holdovers were Thad Young and Miles Turner, and there may have been you know somebody else. Um, and then this year, from three years ago, when you had Paul George and Jeff Teague, the only holdovers were Thad Young and Miles Turner. Now, you had all those guys back, Bogdanovich, Collison, Joseph, and that back from two years ago. But I would say that 2017-18 season with so many newcomers coming in, draft picks, uh, guys you acquired in free agency, Corey Joseph you got in a trade, that team came together very quickly. Uh, you've got to give a lot of credit to Victor, but you have to give a lot of credit to that coaching staff and Nate McMillan. So uh, I think a lot's going to be the same this year. The one thing the Pacers have done, no matter who's a part of it, they have developed a culture. And they have the brand-new St. Vincent Center, which is a wonderful practice facility. I think other organizations know how good the athletic training staff is with the Pacers. So you're able to present the whole package uh, to these players. And players talk. And players have seen what the Pacers have accomplished each of the last two years with how well they played in the regular season, what the commitment was to each other. And I, I think those things mean something, and that's why I think players, if they have the opportunity, 
would uh, choose the Pacers in free agency or want to be acquired in a trade like the guy was acquired last Thursday right. that I can't mention his name, but he did play at NC State in college, right, guys? Yeah, I'll say it for you, TJ Warren. Chris didn't say it, I said it, so he's off the hook. But, yeah, I mean, that's a great point, you know, coming off a team like Phoenix, coming to a team like Indiana. That's got to be a huge culture change and just a front office that actually has a clue of what they're trying to do. So, Chris, we really appreciate your time. You guys can follow Chris Denary on Twitter at Chris Denary, uh, D-N-A-R-I. And then, Chris, you know, are we going to be seeing some new Connecticut commercials? Yes, uh, we go on vacation next week, my wife and I and our three boys with two other families up in Michigan. So we'll spend a week in Michigan, and when we come back, uh, Bailey and Walter will be waiting to uh, cut. Uh, I think we're going to do two or three new ones Ooh, this, uh, this summer. And sort of, yeah, sort of get those in the can. Um, I've just seen the scripts that have been written. Uh, Connecticut does a wonderful job putting the scripts together, and then we sort of have fun with them. And um, I'm appreciative of their support. Um, you know, I'm big on uh, rescue dogs, both of our dogs. In fact, all three pit bulls that we've had have been rescue dogs. Uh, our Granger passed away a year ago, uh-huh. and then we adopted Walter, who was just uh, Walter was days away from being euthanized up at a, a, a shelter up in northern Indiana. Uh, Bailey, our gray one, who you see in the commercial, is 13 years old. We've had her for 10 or 11, and she was uh, set to be euthanized up uh, down in Kentucky in a kill shelter and was able to be rescued out. So my wife and I, I give a lot of credit to my wife. And uh, the dogs, I'll say this, they've sold a lot of water, let me tell you. It's not <laughs> Kristen Airy. It's those dogs, and uh, I, I'm just grateful to the Connecticut people that uh, they've partnered with us to do that, and uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. So, yeah, we will have some new ones that will uh, debut when the season starts in October. Perfect. We are excited to see those, and that's so awesome that you guys are just animal lovers that help rescue animals. So it's really cool to see that. So, Chris, we appreciate it. Got a fun couple of weeks ahead of us, and we'll see how the rest of this roster shakes out. So thanks again for coming on. All right. Thanks, you guys. All righty, guys, we're going to close things out here. It's talking about TJ Warren and what he means to this team and what we thought of that trade. We just had Chris Denary on. We want to thank Chris so much for taking some time out of his day to just recap the draft and talk about the future of the team and some of the moves they made. But we're here to talk about TJ Warren. Pacers pretty much got him for nothing. They got TJ Warren in the 32nd pick in the draft for cash considerations. They ended up flipping that 32nd pick for three Miami Heat second round future picks. So, yeah, pretty nice haul there for the Pacers. Fachi, what was your take on that trade? I'm looking over my shoulder because I'm just hoping the Indianapolis Police Department is not coming for us because we just <laughs> stole T.J. Warren from the Phoenix Suns. I was scrolling through Twitter nonstop trying to find out what did the Pacers give for him. And when I found out it was just cash, it doesn't get any better than that when you are a team that has a ton of cap room. I love the move. TJ is ready to play right away. I mean, you're getting a proven scorer who is an efficient scorer, which there's a big difference in the NBA. And for his career, he's shooting 50%. So I think that that's going to be a guy who you can plug in right away out of the three or the four and can just help us. I mean, in the contract, the contract is going to be equivalent to pennies a few years from now. He's owed $35 million over the next three years. 
So when are you really able to acquire a guy like that in free agency if you're the Pacers? I mean, typically trade is the only way, and I love the move by Pritchard getting it done. Tyler, what are your thoughts? I agree with all that. You know, if you don't like this move, I think you just like to be negative because there's really nothing to be negative about. Uh, I was looking. He actually averaged about 20 a game the year before last. So, I mean, people talk about his 18 points. I averaged 20 the year before. The big key is going to be his three-point shooting. It spiked way up last year. He wasn't really a great three-point shooter before that. But the reason that I think it will continue is because last year he shot twice as many threes really as any previous season, even though he missed time. So it wasn't a small sample size. He was he was jacking a lot of threes, and he was connecting, I believe, 43%. So if his shooting stays even close to that, the Pacers made a really, really solid move, a lot to like there. And one of the things that we didn't really hit on with the D'Angelo Russell stuff in the first segment was, you know, why would we take on a, you know, a, a salary of T.J. Warren to give – the Suns the ability to go out and sign a guy like D'Angelo Russell, but then they go out and make a trade for uh, Dario Saric, so they kind of ate into their cap space back back again. So I think that this move still kind of gives us an edge on Phoenix with acquiring D'Angelo Russell. So yeah, this trade really just didn't make sense to me. There's a lot of people saying that the Suns were just kind of done with him, and T.J. Warren has claimed that he wants to start. So I'll go to you first, Tyler. Do you think that there is a starting position right now if the Pacers do bring back Bogdanovich for TJ Warren? Uh, I'd still say right now they would they would play him. Uh, I think he would start. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of different options. Uh, I'm not sure he could play any two, but, I mean, definitely the three and some of the four. So I, I think even if he didn't start, he's going to be playing pretty close to starters' minutes. And uh, it's not like he brought him, brought him here in free agency. It was a trade, but – uh, I think there's a really good chance they brought him here to play a lot of minutes and take a lot of shots. I don't envision him as a starter. I don't. If they bring back Bogdanovich, I firmly believe that he is a starting three on this team with Sabonis slated as a starting four. Uh, that's why I love the ability for TJ to play both the three and the four because we will be able to find plenty of minutes for him. And, you know, the knock on him in the, in the past has been he could be a little bit of like a black hole at times, never a guy to have a high percentage of uh, a, a high assist number. And I think just last year was one and a half, and that was a career high. But I do think there's enough talent around him where he's not going to be needed to score 20 points a game. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thought there. I do think that they're going to need his scoring, especially off the bench. I see him kind of as a pacer six man. Uh, similar to the Orlando Magic's Terrence Ross, I think that you insert him right away and just say, hey, go get buckets. Uh, him and Holiday could be really fun together as well because we know Holiday likes to play a faster tempo. And I think, honestly, if they're going to start Sabonis and Turner, you might see one you know, team, the starting five, kind of play a slower pace with Rubio if they bring him in with Bojan and whoever that two guard is with you know, Turner and Sabonis. But then if they want to go a little bit more up-tempo, you've got a guy like Goga who is pretty quick on his feet. He's got a really nice touch around the rim defensively and offensively. And you add a guy like T.J. Warren, maybe McDermott is playing some out there with him. And Sumner and Holiday, I think that's a really fun lineup that could just put a little bit faster pace than that starting lineup that's projected. So, yeah, I, I think he is a bench player. To, you, we did mention that he is security if Bojan leaves. And 
honestly, I think that'd be a great fit for him as well because $11 million, $12 million, whatever it is this year for a starting small forward is a lot nicer than overpaying for Bojan, which I really don't want the Pacers to do. So, uh, Fachi, there was also some reports about Bojan coming back that that could kind of indicate they go after Rubio. So, But if they let Bojan walk, there could be a different point guard there. So <laughs> we really shouldn't root against bringing Bojan back for this reason, but do you think that there could be a blessing in disguise if somebody overpays for Bogdanovich? I do. Uh, I do think that if someone overpays for Bogdanovich, you have to know when to back out. Uh, I do not want to get in a bidding war for him. Uh, I think that you know he he would know that he knows the fit here in Indiana. If you if he can bring him back for fifteen million, uh, I would like it. If you're talking about dipping into eighteen or closer to twenty, then it's tough because there is holes to fill on this team. We talked about it. We don't know exactly when Oladipo is going to be back, and you're going to need help at both guard positions. So let's not get in a bidding war if we got a small forward that that is playing on basically a $12 million contract. Um, so I want Bogey to come back. I want that to be on record. But can we get a little bit of a discount here? Any thoughts from you, Tyler, on that? I would agree with that. I think that he, even though he is a priority, again, you do have to know uh, when to back off. That money, as much as it sounds, it goes pretty quick when you're trying to fill probably three more spots. So it could be, as you said, Alex, a blessing in disguise if it didn't happen and then they were to get in some bidding wars and try to bring in a stud point guard that could also take over the team and give Oladipo time to come back. I mean, there's so many scenarios that could take place, but his addition does allow some flexibility. Yeah, for sure. And I'm kind of just done talking about different scenarios the Pacers could do. I feel like I'm just beating a dead horse. I'm just excited to see what they do. You know, last year there was a lot of talk about the Pacers going after Will Barton. And then all of a sudden on, you know, opening night, we see they go after Doug McDermott. So you just really never know with what the reports are saying, what's true and what's not true. You just have to hope that there is, you know, something that can make this team a little bit better. And I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be, but I do like the addition of TJ Warren. And Pritchard talked about this several times, taking on a player uh, into your open cap space. And we talked with Denary about this a little bit. Going out and trading for players is probably the best route for the Pacers. And I'm just going to throw this out there. I'll, I'll go to you, Fachi. Do you think that there is another trade before the season starts? For the Pacers? I, I mean, we can't rule that out because we do know the situation. Sure, they are going to try Sabonis at the four. But, you know, you can't just let him walk. He is a valuable trade chip between him and Turner to the point where if you're if there's going to be a trade on this team, I think those guys have to be looked at because, let's be realistic, I don't think you're going to be able to just trade Doug McDermott unless you're going to attach a pick to him. And I'm not that I'm not in such a rush to just get rid of McDermott at the expense of a future first-round pick, even if it is protected. I'd rather keep our assets. It's something that we really need. Those are our main trade chips. So I think you're going to be looking at either to burn – Turner or Sabonis as possible trade chips. I don't want to get rid of either of them just yet. Tyler? Well, I be, before this uh, last couple of weeks here, I would think that one of Turner Sabonis, there was a solid chance, maybe not, maybe nothing, maybe 40%, 50% chance that one of those guys would be traded. But after hearing Kristen Neri talk and after seeing some other guys in their post, 
sounds like the Pacers want to keep both. Um, I would say I would not be surprised to see something like a TJ Leaf trade. I'm not even sure for what, but I could see the Pacers dangling him to try to fill a hole of some sort. I don't know who would be interested. Don't really know, but if I were guessing, I'd say maybe 50-50 that a trade happens, but I don't think it's going to be one of the big boys. Yeah, I think there could be a smaller deal maybe with McDermott possibly as well, just because they do have some depth there at that small forward position since they brought in T.J. Warren. And if you could get off McDermott and Leaf somehow and bring in a smaller contract or even bring a player in, that, that kind of helps you know, cancel out the addition of T.J. Warren as well because he was making $11 million. So if you can get rid of 11 and add an 11 that you really want, that makes a huge difference. So it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. I'm really excited for Sunday, 6 o'clock to hit, just to see what kind of you know moves are going on. I think it'll be a little bit before we see exactly how this roster shakes out, but you know it, it, it does feel like Rubio is going to be our guy. Just It's hard to ignore that, but it does feel like that. And I'm a little bit down on that, but last question. Ricky Rubio, uh, Tricky Ricky, is he better than Scary Terry? I'll go with you first, uh, Tyler. Oh, man, that's a hard one. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, you also don't know what change of scenery, how certain guys are. So I could be way wrong on this, but I, I do think I'd probably still take Rubio. I love the, the number of assists that he's had, and, and he still has some talent. Maybe you can find a, a few more ticks on the three-point percentage here, um, but I would go with Rubio, I guess. <laughs> Fachi, you ready to explode? Oh, it, it's not as close as you guys think. I'm telling you, Rubio is definitely better than Terry Rozier. <laughs> both both men cannot shoot, but Rubio's passing ability far outweighs Terry Rozier's. And, you know, it, I think that Rozier is looking for that payday. I do think that Rubio can be had on a one- or two-year deal and can guide an offense way better. Uh, I'm Team Rubio over Team Rozier for sure. That makes three of us. I'm Rubio over Rozier as well. But I do kind of like what Tyler said about Rozier with a new with a new team, new culture, a chance to start like he wants. But, yeah, okay, so I lied. I forgot about this question. I'm, I wanted to bring it up on the podcast, so we'll do it real quick. I'll start with you, Tyler, again. Shooting guard free agent shooting guards who is going to be signed to fulfill that vacancy from Oladipo's injury are there any names out there that you like I wish I had any clue on that I'm sure uh Mike Fauci will say JJ Redick which I mean he's a he's an option but you know I want it yeah (laughs) I'm just you know it's kind of hard because you know Pritchard talked about we need shooting we also need a guy that's a playmaker he wants a guy that's capable of starting until Oladipo gets back I don't know how you fill all those needs unless there's a name that I'm just completely forgetting, and I could be really surprised. But Lance, I mean, I, I, yeah, off the bench, um, I, he I could start see. for now and then go back to the bench because yeah, but he's this the, person's he's the king have... of hype off the bench, right? I know he's a king of hype no matter where he's at. <laughs> but no, I just we could I mean, have some fun with Lance, Holiday, Goga, and Warren off the bench. That I would mean, sell that tickets. Be, it would yes. sell tickets. Fachi, are who you want? And JJ, is that who your your pick is right now? I'm all in on JJ Reddick to the Pacers. I want that move. I think it would be. I don't even want to call it underrated. It's a good move, right what there. What about Terrence but Ross instead? You like Terrence Ross more than I like Terrence no, I'm Ross. Just asking. I would, I'm not saying I, I like him more. I'm just asking. Wouldn't be mad at that move one bit. I do think that Terrence Ross is a good player that could help this team. What are your guys' thoughts on a little bit of a cheaper option? What about Danny Green? 
I don't think we can get him for cheaper, to be honest with you. I think that he's established enough in his career not to want to take a pay cut to come to the Pacers. Do you think he'd be cheaper than Terrence Ross? Uh, Well, yeah, but I think Terrence Ross is at a better position. I just think that Danny Green will probably go to more of a title contender than the Pacers. I I, I think so. I do. I agree with that. Now, the person I would probably bring up, which is a little bit of a hometown bias, but George Hill. I've been talking about this for a little bit. I know that he's not going to be an elite scorer, but I do think that he would be fine filling that role until Oladipo gets back and then sliding into that backup role like he's played the last couple years uh, or the last, last little bit here with Milwaukee. And I think he'd actually be a nice fit next to Aaron Holiday just because he's long, he's able to defend, he can knock down threes. He's not the shot creator that, you know, maybe a Terrence Ross is, but he is a guy that's a team player. He's not going to force stuff. He's going to play the the game correctly. And I think if you have Rubio, George Hill, Bowian, Sabonis, and Turner, that's a pretty solid starting five. It's not great, but it'll do until Oladipo gets back. So what are your thoughts on George Hill, Tyler? I love the hometown hero. We can yeah. bring all those debates back. I mean, I think uh, he would be a pretty decent fit in some scenarios. It's just so hard when you don't know how the rest of the roster will shake out. But while we were talking, I thought about not saying I, I love the guy, but I could see a Rodney Hood type yeah. maybe. Well, especially possibly. with the Blazers trading for Ken Bazemore today as well. That's somebody they could yeah. be looking to replace. Rodney Hood would be tall too, six eight shooting guard. That'd be fun. Yeah, and I think he shot he, he shot well from three last year. I don't know if he's always been a good three yeah. baller, but I think he was over forty percent last year. He he played really well for Portland in the playoffs for sure. Hey guys, I I got a, a yes or no question for you. If and he's never going to be the starter, but if he could fill in for a little bit and be our backup two guard, if you can get Seth Curry for five million dollars a year, are you in? Tyler, you go first. As a backup, sure. I'm in. But I don't know if he would only take – I think he may get more than five. But if that was my option as a backup to take a flyer on him, then I would do it. Three years, $15 million, Give him a home. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm that hyped on Seth Curry. Uh, he's all Roll right. Roll the dice. He's all right. Roll them. Uh, I think there's the guys I'd rather target above him. I think all the guys of you course. mentioned – All the guys we mentioned before I think I'd rather have – I think I'd rather have Rodney Hood, George Hill, uh, just those Agreed. kind of players. Just, just all for of them will purposes. be. All of them will be more expensive. Some of them double, maybe even potentially. Yeah, not not about, to say triple, I don't know about but George. Two and a half. I don't know about George Hill. No, he might give the discount to come back, but you know, I mean, obviously, if we can get JJ Redick, I don't need to even look at anyone else. That's who I want. <laughs> Yeah. You know, we could have a, a lineup of five white guys at some point. <laughs> it's possible. It's <laughs> too possible, actually. I love it. I love it. So well, let's wrap things up here, guys. You can follow us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can follow Fachi at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can follow the coach and the insider, Tyler Smith, at Tyler Smith underscore ISL. And you can follow me on Twitter at Alex Golden. NBA, make sure you leave us a rating and a review. We will be putting the episodes on YouTube as well as iTunes. And of course, you can check it out on PacersTalk.net backslash setting dash the dash pace and check out all of our podcasts there. So until next time, we'll talk to you later. Peace out, Pacer Nation. Let's go, Pacers. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. 
The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.